With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. I want to start off today's show with a quick reminder that the World Ag Expo is coming up next month, February 14th through the 16th. Uh, Brian and I will be there covering all the latest in ag innovation, technologies, business, as well as many of the seminars covering policy, issues, compliance, and much more. So if you plan on attending, you can get $3 off of your ticket price when you purchase them online using the code AGNET. That's A-G-N-E-T. You can head on over to worldagexpo.com to gather more information. And now let's get into our show headlines. State Water Reservoir Updates. Molly White, State Water Project Water Operations Manager, recently gave an update on the SWP's reservoir storage after the latest winter storms. All right, from a statewide perspective, um, total statewide storage is at 91% of historical average, so certainly upticking um, towards more average conditions across the state. However, um, Shasta and Trinity Reservoirs located up north who are operated by the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation are still below average for this time of year. Lake Shasta itself did surpass about 2.3 million acre feet yesterday, but again, still below average at 82% um, of average for this time of year. Meanwhile, so as far as for the state water project, um, Lake Oroville, our largest reservoir, is just shy of 2 million acre feet. We did hit about 101% of average for this time of year. Uh, We have gained since early December where we saw our low point of about 120 feet in elevation and 1 million acre feet. So current storage, as mentioned, just shy of 2 million acre feet. Uh, We have surpassed um, the peak storage that we did see in 21 and 2022. There's roughly 600,000 acre feet of available storage just to before we may have to increase releases for flood control. She added flood control releases are happening in lakes in Alameda County. We do continue and we have been continuing to coordinate flood control releases from Lake DelVal. um, And that is with um, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers down south in Silverwood and Pyramid Lakes. um, We have just making increased releases of just to manage, uh, manage to runoff coming into the lakes. And for the San Luis Reservoir totals. The joint reservoir that the State Water Project and Central Valley Project share. Um, total storage is about 900,000 acre feet. The State Water Project um, is about 522,000 acre feet. Um, which is about 50% of capacity for the State Water Project share. And we've gained about 200,000 acre feet since the December, since December 1st. As far as in the South, our South Delta pumping for the state water project, um, we're pumping at about 50% capacity and pumping as much as allowed by our state and federal permits. Um, based upon the current projections of inflow coming into the Delta throughout the week, DWR does expect um, to reach near full capacity um, of pumping it at our South Delta facility, and that water will be moved to storage um, to be used um, later in the year to meet water supply demands. And now here's Brian German with more Ag News. Cover cropping systems are proving valuable with the wet weather. 
Chris Sayer from Petty Ranch said the cover crop they have in their orchards in Ventura has definitely paid for itself this year. We've had great infiltration of the water, so even though we had a little over five inches in 24 hours, we were able to uh, get vehicles into the orchard. Within 24 hours after that, we have no standing water, just about everything uh, infiltrated in, and yet it's solid enough that we can actually move around. So. That'll be good from an orchard operation standpoint. And uh, even though we're not looking to harvest anytime soon, it suggests that we'll uh, have no issues with that when the time comes. And of course, that means that's all water that went uh, into the ground, into the soil to feed our trees later in spring, rather than uh, you know running off down the Barranca and into the Pacific Ocean. So you love it when you can keep it. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight. In today's National Spotlight, farmers around the nation are in the process of choosing between the ARC or ARC and PLC revenue protection programs. Dr. Paul Mitchell, the state specialist in cropping systems with the University of Wisconsin Extension Service, outlines the main difference between the two programs. Well, PLC is like the traditional commodity support program. It's a price support program. It puts a floor to national prices, $370 for corn, $840 for soybeans. And these have been around for a long time, this kind of a program. ARC is a little newer. It's still been around a while, but it's a county revenue-based floor. And so it mixes that national price with your local county yields to create a floor at the county level for revenue. And so each county is a little different, whereas the national price for the PLC is the same no matter where you are in the U.S. Farmers need to do their homework to figure out which program works best for their specific operations. They like to have these two programs so the farmers can kind of select the one that works best for them. Traditionally, the ARC at the county level has worked better in the upper Midwest, whereas PLC has tended to work better in the South for some of those crops. But even that rule doesn't always apply. Wheat isn't a good example there. A lot of farmers like PLC. It's about a 50-50 split nationally on that crop. He says the choice is not as difficult this year because commodity prices are strong. This is not a major issue this year. That 370 floor for corn, the projected price is 570 for corn for the 2023 crop. That's the national average price across the whole marketing year. Board of Trade today, December corn is trading for 590. Um, soybeans is $13.90. The floor is $8.40 for soybeans. That's the same price they're using to calculate those revenue guarantees for ARC. And so I'm telling farmers not to sweat it. If you want to pick one, I'd pick ARC because there's a likelihood the county yields are low and you might trigger a payment in your county. But the likelihood of that is very small. And so this is a year I wouldn't sweat it. Pick whichever one you had last year if you're fine with that. Or if you want to really play the program and maybe maximize returns, ARC. Some farmers may be tempted to not participate in either program, but Mitchell says that's not a good idea. 
Yeah, you want to keep yourself in the program. The record's there because you want to get your yields in there. You want your acres and all that kind of stuff because the new farm bill, when it comes out, they upgrade these programs. You want to have your yields in there so you can raise your payment yields so that in the future when the programs, they've raised these floors, you'll be eligible. Um, the same thing, you want your data in the system. You just want to participate. If you've got the base acres in your operation, re-enroll every year. It's always better because then in the future, you can apply for the new programs, whatever they are. In other news, fertilizer and other input shortages were a big topic of conversation and headlines in 2022. Jason Trendle is an economist with the Fertilizer Institute. He says the 2022 supplies were a little lower than normal, but maybe weren't quite that bad. When we look at things at a U.S. basis, we actually had the second highest total supply of nitrogen over the last eight years. We were down a little bit in terms of phosphate, and we were basically at the five-year average for potash imports. So despite the fact that there was maybe quite a bit of noise around there, I think supplies actually ended up being pretty good last year, and we anticipate that moving into this year. Some of the problems last year may have had to do with misunderstandings between producers and retailers. The grower would go to their retailer say in December and say, hey, can I purchase my ammonia for April 20th delivery? And the retailer would say no. And sometimes that was interpreted as the product wasn't available. And really what it was is with the prices being so volatile, the retailer wasn't willing necessarily to price something out that far in advance. So I think we may see some of that challenge again this year, just in terms of retailers and farmers trying to mitigate risk and not necessarily wanting to put something on the books with as volatile as as the market is. He says the Fertilizer Institute doesn't see the availability of inputs as a problem this year. Price, on the other hand, is a different story. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson, Fragnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman. Well, in today's Livestock News, USDA recently announced the latest in a series of investments designed to expand capacity of meat and poultry processing in our nation. With more on that story, here's Rod Bain. Among some of the Agriculture Department's recent efforts to invest in expansion of our nation's meat and poultry processing supply chain, we announced 266 plants and assisted them in expanding their sales beyond just selling in-state to interstate sales. We announced recently 22 plants in the first tranche of grants to build expanded and new processing facilities. The most recent example was announced by Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack in early January during his visit with delegates at this year's American Farm Bureau Federation Convention. We announced three additional projects that we're benefiting. A total of over $12 million in investments via the latest awards within the meat and poultry processing expansion program to those three facilities focused on expanding independent processing capacity. First, we're going to fund and help the International Food System of Ohio develop a new poultry processing facility in Ohio to expand significantly their capacity to produce new product. More capacity, more demand, and more good-paying jobs. And over $1.5 million grant to Michigan turkey producers will upgrade water and wastewater facilities and refrigerated trailers. In order for them to be able to increase the capacity of their existing facility by 370,000 birds annually, 
and allow them over time potentially to double their capacity to nearly 10 million birds being processed. The third grant was received by Benson and Turner, which is a new hog and beef processing facility in Minnesota associated with the Wright Earth Indian Reservation to provide new opportunities as well. That facility will also include a storefront with the entire operation designed to take in locally grown livestock and give local producers opportunity to market their products by providing a USDA-certified processing plant. Secretary Vilsack added, Each of these projects, as well as the other 22 projects, and more projects to come over the course of the next several months, will provide additional competition, additional value-added opportunity for producers, more jobs in rural communities. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Thanks, Rod. And the annual American Sheep Industries Association Convention kicks off today, January 18th in Fort Worth, Texas. And for those attending this year's event, ASI is once again using the WOVA app to provide convention attendees with a place to connect and share information. The app is now active and available for use as attendees prepare to make their way through the Omni Fort Worth Hotel. App users will have access to all the information they need to have a successful week during the convention. It's only available to register convention attendees. So, if you'd like more information and have not downloaded the app, go to their website, SheepUSA.org. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. It's the perfect amendment for improving your soil's water holding capacity. You can contact your soil health specialist, Tom Fantosi, at 209-312-4016. Sinagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Exploring trade opportunities with Vietnam. That's coming up on This Land of Ours. National Association of State Departments of Agriculture members and leadership traveled to Vietnam last week. The delegation embarked on the organization's first trade mission to explore global emerging markets through the Department of Agriculture's Emerging Markets Program. NASDA President and Wyoming Department of Agriculture Director Doug Miyamoto, Washington State Department of Agriculture Director Derek Sanderson, Delaware Secretary of Agriculture Michael Skuse, Texas Department of Agriculture Assistant Commissioner Dan Hunter, and NASDA CEO Ted McKinney all participated in the mission. The delegation explored trading opportunities and educated Vietnamese agricultural, government, and business leaders on American agriculture and markets. NASDA will also conduct trade missions to Thailand, Indonesia, and Kenya in 2023. NASDA was recently awarded $925,000 from USDA to promote exports of U.S. agricultural products to developing countries with strong growth potential. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. In 2022, the Iowa Supreme Court issued an opinion involving a nuisance suit against a confined animal feeding operation. It's significant because the court changed the way that farmers can defend themselves from nuisance complaints and other states might find the approach instructive. A 2022 court opinion changed the way nuisance cases will proceed in Iowa. Under the new approach, if a jury finds that a nuisance exists, the ag operation has a defense if it was in full compliance with state and federal regulations, had been exercising generally accepted management practices, and for a substantial period of time had not interfered with the use and enjoyment of the complaining party's property. 
The defense will apply regardless of the established date or expansion of the operation. In other words, there is no first-in-time requirement. This is a change from the way nuisance cases were judged in Iowa, and it might be an approach that other states might utilize in future cases. Ag nuisance litigation will continue to be an issue that will be on the radar in 2023. It's one example of land-use conflicts that can arise in rural areas. Often the cases are filed against livestock operations that produce odors. While best management practices can minimize odors, it's always a good approach to keep in communication with your neighbors and help them understand your production practices. That could help minimize conflicts in the future. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. While it has been an active winter weather-wise across much of the nation, drought coverage remains expansive. As USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey explains, We still have 46% of the country in drought. Per the first U.S. drought monitor of 2023 for the period ending January 3rd. That marks 119 consecutive weeks that we have seen U.S. drought coverage greater than 40%. That is easily a 21st century record. Yet to put the nationwide drought coverage numbers in context, there has been vast improvements over all over the past two months. Recall that in late November, 57.5% of the country was experiencing drought, and that's even down from the autumn peak of nearly 63% of the country experiencing drought on October 25th. That was the second highest drought coverage in the United States, going back to the beginning of U.S. drought monitor records in 1999. About one-sixth of the country wiped clean of drought from November to January according to Rippy, Heavy precipitation, particularly snow, in several parts of the country this winter are behind the recent improvements. In our 11-state western region, we have had significant drought relief. There's no doubt about that, and especially true in California, the Great Basin, and the Intermountain West. And while drought coverage for the west region remains above 62% at the start of January. That, however, is the lowest drought coverage in the western United States since July of 2020 about two and a half years ago. It shows the staying power of drought over the last couple of years in the western United States. Many winter wheat growing areas of the plains have also received significant precipitation, including much snow, over the winter. Even with some of the improvement across the northern and southern plains, we still have 64% of the U.S. winter wheat production area experiencing drought as of January 3rd. That is down from an autumn peak of 75%. So we're trending in the right direction. However, Rippy points to areas of the central plains that have not received much in the way of precipitation to alleviate drought. If you look at the three adjoining states in the middle part of the Great Plains, Nebraska, Kansas and Oklahoma. Extreme to exceptional drought coverage, D3 or D4, the two worst categories on the drought monitor. Coverage in those three states ranges from 46 to 57 percent. And even with some improvement, especially in Nebraska, that is still significant high-end drought coverage. And the next real opportunity for relief from that level of drought will come in the spring as we start to get into the climatologically wetter period of year. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. 
Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments. We take a closer look at corn here at midweek. We see a bullish setup heading into spring. USDA's recent update shows a drop in harvested acres and thus lower ending stocks. Has the stocks-to-use ratio now below 9%. That's the second lowest since 2012-13 drought year. If South American production falls any further from current forecasts, world-ending corn stocks would fall to their lowest since 2014-15. Open interest has climbed back to the highest since early in December, with the market oversold. So our strategy right now, be a buyer of March corn below 664.5, be a buyer of December New crop below 584 and a half and little risk on the downside from there, we think. We do see $7 money ahead for March futures into spring. Six and a quarter, maybe even up to 645 longer term for new crop December. Livestock producers needing corn now or in the spring or summer should be doing some pricing now on this recent decline. First ever Crop Nutrition Week being brought to you by AgriLiquid. It's a virtual week of learning, connecting growers and agronomists. It's February 6th through the 10th. You can learn more at CropNutritionWeek.com. CropNutritionWeek.com. This is the Bottom Line Report. Tomorrow, a similar look at gold, up 17% since November. I'm Mark Oppold, wishing you a profitable day. Good day, everybody. Albert J. Hernandez, the Untamed Chef for Agnet West. Welcome to the California Kitchen, where you can learn how to cook from an award-winning chef in under three minutes or less. I'm your host with the most. Let's get untamed. My recipe today is more of a unique and awesome technique of cooking on a Japanese Konro grill. Now, what makes this so special is we use a special kind of charcoal called binchotan. And what that allows us to do is to impart an amazing smoky flavor without the crazy smoke filling up the whole room. It's something very, very special. Now, if you don't have a Conroe grill, you can still do this. Uh, but you're going to need a small barbecue and you're still going to need to get that binchotan charcoal because that charcoal is very, very special. It's a very magical effect. So what we're doing is we're taking some uh, dry age USDA prime loin and all what I've done is I've cooked it slow for 14 hours uh, at a medium rare temperature and then I allow this to come to room temperature and I'm going to put it on to our grill. And I'm just going to simply season this with salt and pepper. Now, I call this the Japanese steakhouse version of a steak because the flavor is unmatched and it's unbelievable. And like I said, the technique is very, very simple. I'm going to be using a little 
Japanese Conroe grill. We're going to put one piece of the Binchotan charcoal inside of there and I'm going to light it up. And once I light this up, I need to get that Binchotan to really glow. So it takes about a good five minutes to get it glowing. So you can actually get this lit up in some kind of a different separate vessel, uh, a pan or even a, a, a charcoal um, igniter, which works really, really well. And get ready for something very, very special because it does not take long. Remember, the meat already is cooked. So all we're doing is imparting these beautiful smoky flavors onto the meat. And it is something that is unreal. So what I'm going to do is take my meat, season it, salt and pepper, and I'm going to put it on the hottest part of the grill and using a fan. And you can use like a little paper fan. They have these Japanese fans. We're just going to get that that beautiful charcoal nice and glowing and that's going to start to put that flavor and put a nice little thin sear onto our meat and all you have to do is just put this with your fried rice even just steamed rice a little bit of teriyaki sauce and enjoy i'm albert j hernandez you all know me as the untamed chef for agnet west are you buying and consuming more food and drink items produced in some other country? If so, you're not alone. In fact, our purchases of foreign agricultural products are taking us into record territory as far as food imports. During the first 11 months of 2022, we consumers spent 17% more money on foreign food and farm items than we did during the same 11 months of 2021. And if you look at last year's ag imports month by month, the entire year has been the highest on record. At over $182 billion worth, this from Agriculture Department Economist and Trade Trend Tracker, say that three times fast, Trade Trend Tracker, Bart Ketter. He says prices for most imported foods are going up, in some cases up by a lot. But Bart says it doesn't seem to matter. This tends to support, he says, an old economic standby rule of price elasticity. Yes, in other words, yes, the prices of most imported foods and ag products are rising. But we're not changing our, our purchasing behavior because of those price increases. We're continuing as consumers to, to buy the same amounts or even a little bit more continuing upward trends in almost every category that we're tracking here. So what are we buying and why? Bart says when it comes to imported foods... A big part of that is fresh and frozen fruits. And, you know, that's not a huge surprise. There's a lot of demand for fruits and different kinds of fruits and for those things to be available year-round. And, of course, the climate within the U.S. doesn't allow for producing a lot of those fruits year-round, and so we get a lot of those things from warmer climates. So, top of the imported list, fruit, sales of which are up 13 percent from 2021. Next highest would be vegetables. Not surprisingly, for a lot of the same reasons. Those imports up 11%, but it's not just fruits and veggies here. The growing list of imported foods is a long one. U.S. spending on imported vegetable oils has been up 42% during 2022. Demand has been up for those products, and the, the value has been up because of demand, but also because of some of the vegetable oil producing areas of the world have experienced some adverse weather conditions and reduced that supply some. But we haven't cut back on purchases. Same story for some comfort foods or ingredients that go into them, such as... Cocoa and cocoa products, which are up 44%. And that's 
mainly due to value. By volume, cocoa-owned products were only up 4%. But we're still buying more despite the higher prices. Bart says we consumers are also spending more to buy more of many imported products, including cheese, wine, distilled spirits, and coffee. And he's forecasting that trend to continue in 2023. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Today's show is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost. It's the perfect amendment for improving your soil's water holding capacity. You can contact your soil health specialist, Tom Fantosi, at 209 312 4016. Sinagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. We're joined by Todd Bergdahl once again this morning, field market development specialist for Valent USA, to get a sense of how orchards are looking at this point in the season. Now, it's not news to um, everybody, but uh, we've been getting a lot of rain so far this month, which is um, absolutely needed, but it's also creating some challenges for growers out there. And so, Todd, let's just start here with um, with what you're seeing and, and what orchard conditions look like right now with the uh, storm systems that came through. Well, rain is a good thing. I I hope we get more of it personally. I think that uh, any rain we get is snow in the mountains. It's uh, you know it sucks up into the ground and that improves the water uh, water storage capacity of groundwater. As you know, we've been in a drought for basically the last ten years. We've had a couple minor events in between there, but we're still in a major drought. Water tables have dropped dramatically throughout the state. Uh, as people have used groundwater. So water is a good thing. And um, the rain is um, supposed to let up. High pressure is supposed to move in uh, middle part of the week. And they said maybe eight to 10 days of, of drier weather or dry weather. Hopefully that'll that'll go away and we'll get some more rain. Rain right now is good. Uh, during bloom, it can impede uh, pollination. Um, after bloom, it can contribute to wet, conditions, uh, disease, uh, monolinea on, uh, this is about almonds basically, so it'd be monolinea, uh, brown rot on the blossom, blossom blight. So we we uh, got to watch out for that. Um, hopefully people have gotten most of their dormant stuff done prior to the rain. We had a lot of chilling in December. So bloom is probably going to be a little early. I saw stuff starting to swell already. So Initially, I thought it was going to be delayed, but I don't think so. I think it's. I think Bloom's going to be moved up um, a few days, just because of the, the amount of chilling that we received back in December. So, hopefully, we won't get any bloom or any rain during Bloom. Um, it's just problematic for everybody. But if we do, then um, fungicides are definitely on the in the toolbox for uh, for addressing that issue. And it, it needs to be addressed if there's if there's wind. conditions that are conducive to disease are are one of the things we can't really control, but we can control the uh, the uh, fun, the crop by protecting it from those conditions. And um, I think we're you know usually it's around the tenth fifteenth of uh, for bloom. I think it's going to be moved. It'll probably be somewhere around the seventh or eighth. Of, we'll start. I mean, I saw stuff that's starting to swell this when I was driving around uh, Friday. And I said, wow, this is, this is, okay. But then I put two and two together. I said, well, we got enough chilling. That's why the trees, the chilling is what's, 
you know, turns it on, turns it off, and that's that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to be a little bit earlier bloom. Probably come all at once too, because usually when you get enough chili, things are ready. They come to they come to life. The alarm goes off, and everybody wakes up. Well, very good. So growers will want to uh, stay attuned to uh, what the weather's going to be shaping up to be here towards uh, towards the end of the month. And uh, now on another note, Valent has been hosting uh, some industry events up and down the state. Uh, just trying to uh, educate growers. And uh, so what what have those events uh, been about and what's being discussed there? Well, Brian, we call it the Valent Roadshow. Um, basically, it's about a two to two and a half hour meeting. We start we started in the South Valley and went all the way to Calusa on Friday. And then, and then this week will be on the Central Coast, starting in Oxnard and then uh, ending in Salinas, in the Salinas area, Monterey, Salinas. So um, the two-hour roadshow, it's, it's basically a, a meeting that we update people on uh, new products that Valen is offering. Okay, then we've developed anything that's been added to existing products. So maybe, maybe a label update as well as um, what's in the pipeline for uh, the future coming down the road. So it's a, it's a very informative uh, two-hour synopsis of of what Valent is uh, bringing to the marketplace, uh, tools, new tools that uh, growers can utilize to enhance their operations, or at least uh, tools in the toolbox are good. So having having more tools is a good thing. Learning how to use those tools is, is secondary. So we're basically updating people on the tools and how to use them. And so far we've had really good attendance at all, all locations, uh, Bakersfield, Selma, uh, Stockton, Calusa, and uh, like I said, on Wednesday it'll be in, in uh, the Salinas area. So, yeah, the attendance has been good. I think probably some of that can be attributed to the rain because it's been raining, it's wet, and really you can't do a lot outside. So why not go to uh, a meeting and, and have a nice lunch and uh, learn about some new tools? So it's uh, the rain's probably enhanced our attendance a bit, I think. Well, very good. And again, the last Roadshow event is being held in Salinas on Wednesday, January 18th. And uh, Todd Berkdahl with Valent USA, uh, thanks again for taking the time here with us this morning. No, anytime, Brian. Thank you. Take care. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. Support us at 4H.org. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour. I'm your host, Danielle Leal, again talking with Keith Stregler, who's one of the program committee members for the Unified Wine and Grape Symposium. Keith, we've been talking all about the Unified Wine and Grape Symposium for the last month. So, can you one more time remind me the specifics of the upcoming event? The 2023 Unified Symposium is going to be held January 24th to the 26th, 2023. Uh, the exhibits will be the 25th and the 26th, and it'll be held in the, in the uh, Safe Credit Union Convention Center, which was formerly known as the Sacramento Convention Center. Okay, so as you mentioned, the Unified Symposium is going to be held for three days in Sacramento. Um, and we know everyone's schedules are very busy. So, Keith, what if someone can only partially attend the event? Is that possible to just go for one day or two days? And if so, if that's the only thing that they can do, what day might be the best bang for their buck? 
Well, certainly, certainly everyone should come to the to the whole three days, like you said, uh, to get the full, you know, get all the information that they can. But if you were going to come for one day, most people that I'm that I know that have done this have generally chosen to come for the Wednesday that has the state of the industry meeting, because that's very, um, like I said, almost a must a must attend uh, session for people. So you could go to that and then you know, spend the rest of the day in the trade show. And that would be a full day for you. That's for sure. Thanks, Keith. And folks, if you'd like to gather more information, you can visit unifiedsymposium.org. Cover cropping systems are proving valuable with the wet weather. Chris Sayer from Petty Ranch said the cover crop they have in their orchards in Ventura has definitely paid for itself this year. We've had great infiltration of the water, so even though we had a little over five inches in 24 hours, we were able to uh, get vehicles into the orchard. Within 24 hours after that, we have no standing water, just about everything uh, infiltrated in, and yet it's solid enough that we can actually move around. So. That'll be good from an orchard operation standpoint, and uh, even though we're not looking to harvest anytime soon, it suggests that we'll uh, have no issues with that when the time comes. And of course, that means that's all water that went uh, into the ground, into the soil to feed our trees later in spring, rather than uh, you know running off down the Barranca and into the Pacific Ocean. So you love it when you can keep it. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Deer announced its 2023 startup collaborators. Eight companies have been selected for the Deer and Company Startup Collaborator Program, some of which are headquartered in California. Launched in 2019, the program helps John Deere enhance precision technology within its agriculture and construction equipment. Julian Sanchez, who's the director of emerging technology at John Deere, says, quote, This huge group shows the importance of connecting with the startup community across a broad range of applications and technologies, adding, quote, These connections help John Deere better understand opportunities to advance precision technology in agriculture and construction. The eight companies include Albedo, which develops low-flying satellites, Anello Photonics for their smart sensor for autonomous applications, Gray Matter Labs for its human-like artificial intelligence, Impossible Sensing for its use of space technology focusing on carbon neutrality, Intelliculture for its farm equipment management software, Precision AI for its artificial intelligence-powered agricultural drones for plant-based herbicide application, Rod Radar for its real-time excavation technology, and Vega for its sustainability management services. To learn more about each company's services or products, you can visit deer.com. There's been a change of venue for the next UC Davis Viticulture and Enology on the Road event scheduled for Wednesday, February 15th. Director of Industry Relations for the department, Karen Block, noted that there is a deadline for registering for the event. So we were originally scheduled to be at the Kearney Agriculture Research and Extension Center in Parlier, but because of the upcoming World Ag Expo during that same time frame, we've moved it to Tulare, and it's going to be at the Tulare County Cooperative Extension Office. And it turns out it's basically right across the street from the World Ag Expo. And it'll be on Wednesday, February 15th from 9 to 1. And we do ask that people register by Wednesday, February 8th. And to find the registration page, if you go to wineserver.ucdavis.edu and you go to the drop down, the about menu. And if you go down to events, you'll see the events and you can click on the road event in Tulare. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Grant recipients for the Calac Plate Program. 
Nearly $250,000 have been awarded to six organizations through the California Department of Food and Agriculture 2022 California Special Interest License Plate Program. The grants, funded through the sales of DMV ag-themed license plates, will help to enhance agriculture education and leadership opportunities across the state. Since the start of the program, $1.9 million has been awarded to support agricultural education and leadership development. The 2022 current grant recipients include $9,800 to Anaheim Union High School District, $210,000 to the California Association of Future Farmers of America, $8,870 to the California Foundation for Ag in the Classroom, $5,000 for the California Women for Agriculture Ventura County Chapter, $10,000 to the San Joaquin County Foundation for Ag Education, and $4,286 to the San Joaquin County Office of Education. To learn more about how each organization will use the funds, you can visit cdfa.ca.gov and read their bios. If interested in the continuation of these grants, you can purchase a special interest ag-themed plate by visiting the DMV's website. And click on the quick link special interest and personalized license plate orders under the vehicle registration tab. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Danielle Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.